The mind is a powerful thing, isn't it? Uh, one thought can turn a down day toward encouragement. You woke up on the wrong side of heaven, as they say, and then you started to count your blessings. You named them one by one, and as you do, it, it, it lifted the spirit of your mind. Or maybe you've experienced the opposite more often than not. You woke up thinking, this is going to be a good day, only to, to have a single thought that, that just wrecked all of your expectations. And then all of the thoughts after that one just, just pile up. The Bible has a lot to say about your mind. There's the troubled mind in 2 Kings chapter 6, a depraved mind in 1 Timothy 6, a sinful mind in Romans 8, a, a dull mind in 2 Corinthians 3, a blinded mind, 2 Corinthians 4, a corrupt mind, and 2 Timothy 2, the Bible talks about a guarded mind. Proverbs 4.23 says, uh, warns us to guard what we think because our thoughts are the, the tributary of, of, of our entire life. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for, for from it flows the springs of, of life. Romans chapter 8 says it this way. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the, the things of the Spirit. For, the mind, uh, for, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and, and peace. If what we think is that important, it, 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 we should be not surprised at all that the Apostle Paul includes biblical thinking in a list about, about spiritual steadiness. And for the past several weeks, Paul has been going over these joyful instructions that he gives to the Philippian church in chapter 4, verses 1 through, through 9, and it all starts with a call to stand firm. If we hope to be used by God or, or, or live well in, in the world, we must possess spiritual steadiness. And in fact, the Bible calls us to be, to be stable. In fact, that's the reason that, that you're here this morning. One of the reasons that we, that we gather together, Ephesians 4 tells us that, that the purpose of preaching and teaching is so that you might be equipped to, with stability, so you'll no longer be, be tossed about by by the unstable winds of, of, the, of the world, every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. James chapter 1, that you know really well, says a man who lacks faith, a double-minded man, is unstable in, in all of his ways. God often describes himself in the Old Testament as a, as a sturdy fortress, Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my Savior, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. And we sang uh, a song this morning on Christ the solid rock that comes from the way Jesus describes, describes the gospel and trusting in Him. You build your life on Christ. It's the, he's the, the solid rock. He's a solid foundation and everything else is, is shifting sand. It's unstable. The Bible says that you're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and, and truth. Uh, it says that you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God even invites Israel in, in Isaiah to, to come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Well, if you want that kind of firmness of, of foot, you'll only find it in Jesus Christ, and, and, and you'll gain it by, by obeying these nine commands that Paul provides for us here in Philippians chapter, chapter 4. Uh, verses 1 through 9 is a how-to stand firm list, uh, or what will bring spiritual stability in, in your life. Paul, in wrapping up this letter, uh, he says, be resolute, to stand firm, possess stability as a church body. That's what he says in verse 1. Look at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. In what way? And then Paul begins to describe in what way we're supposed to, to stand firm. He exhorts us how to fulfill that command with the ones that, that, that follow. And he starts with a passionate plea for unity in verses 1, 1 through 3. Unity is necessary for stability. It's like the mortar of a church. If, if there's disunity in a church, then, then there may be bricks there, but, but, but they start to, to come apart. And so if you want stability, you have to have the same mind as, as other believers, and then those minds collectively are together in the, in the same church. So that's followed by a four-part prescription for steadiness in your soul. That's what we looked at last time in verses 4 through 7. It begins with rejoice in the Lord. It ends with this, be anxious for, for nothing. And Paul says if you want steadiness in your soul, internal steadiness comes from joy in the Lord, gentleness in circumstance, uh, confidence in God, and then uh, to be prayerful in response to whatever comes in life. And today, Paul's going to sum up those instructions in verses 8 and 9 with a concrete call about thinking and doing. Whereas verse 6 and 7 call us to exercise faith through prayer in everything, even things that would tempt us to be anxious, verses 8 and 9 call us to, to a faith through clear thinking and consistent walking. And thankful prayer leads to steadiness internally. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be yours in Christ Jesus. But scriptural thinking and habitual doing are the foundation stones of a, of a stable Christian walk. If you want stability or steadiness externally, you need to obey 8, eight and 9. If you want peace for your soul... You must yield your circumstances to, to God in, in humble prayer. But, but if you want steadiness in your walk, that will come from right thinking and right doing. And we're only going to cover verse 8 this morning and pick up verse 9 next week, Lord willing, because there's not a more important topic in, related to Christianity. Your mind and your thought life are paramount to everything related to the Christian life and the gospel itself. In fact, you can't even believe upon Christ without using your mind. Romans 10, 17, that, that you know well. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. The, the hearing there is not just to allow it to, to tickle your ear bones. It's the idea that faith comes from hearing, from considering, from, from, from reasoning together about your sins and the fact that God can cleanse them through, through, through Christ. And we sing, I was blind, but now I see. Uh, in regeneration, the, the Spirit of God gives you eyes to see, and meaning the ability to understand. Prior to that, you, you lack that, that ability. But that eye to see, those eyes to see, the Spirit of God is the, is the energizing force, but you use your mind. You, you think, you reason, you understand. 
J. Gresham Machen said, what the Holy Spirit does in the new birth is, is not to make a man a Christian regardless of the evidence, but on the contrary, to clear away the mists from his eyes and enable him to attend to the evidence. And that understanding comes from a spiritually enlightened mind. Spiritually enlightened mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says, But a, a natural person doesn't accept the, the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But we have the mind of Christ. There's an understanding that comes. The Spirit of God surely is involved, but, but the mind, the Spirit of God works through means, and, and the mind is part of of that means. I mean, you can't even be sanctified with, with, with right thinking. Colossians 3.10 says, And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge. So you have a true knowledge according to the image of the one who, who created it. Biblical faith in sanctification is not merely feeling or sincerity. It's not optimism or, or positive thinking, as one said. Biblical faith is a reasoned response to revealed truth. A reasoned response to revealed truth. It's revealed to you. The Spirit of God reveals it. And then there's a reasoned response to that. That involves your mind. You know when people say, um, when you worry, you think too much. Or you're overthinking that. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said it's actually the opposite. You think too little when you worry. The reason that you're anxious is not that you're overthinking things. You're not thinking right. You're not thinking proper about God or, or, or anything else. Lord John says, The Bible is full of logic, and we must never think of faith as something purely mystical. I mean, we don't just sit down in an armchair and expect marvelous things to happen to us. This is not a Christian faith. Christian faith is essentially thinking. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, look at the birds. Think about them. Draw your deductions. Look at the grass. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It is a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock him down in an intellectual sense, end quote. In every stage of the Christian life, the mind is involved. I mean, you, can't, you and I can't even bear fruit as believers without engaging our minds. Uh, John 15, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches. John 15, 7. If you remain or abide in me and my words abide or remain in you, and ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Salvation, sanctification, fruit bearing, the whole Christian life involves the mind. And yet we have a culture that doesn't want to think much at all. Even sadder, we have a church that's followed suit. We've created a whole generation of Christians who are emotional feelers instead of theological thinkers. We have created sappy saints instead of carbonized Christ followers. And the byproduct is weakness. Mentally lazy people are spiritually weak people because the mind is involved. I mean, too many Christians are like a bowl of Lucky Charms that have sat in spiritual milk too long. I mean, everyone wants to eat the emotional marshmallows, but, but you need the little brown things there as well. 
You have entire denominations that have reduced Christianity to some euphoric experience where the mind is divorced from the process. It's more about getting magically zapped by God than learning all that He has commanded and then putting that into practice in life. That's the Great Commission. You know the old preacher who said, you know, salvation is not how high you jump, but, but how straight you walk whenever you hit the ground. You've heard that before? Well, Paul would add, how clear your thinking will determine how far you go whenever you actually walk. And will you wobble whenever you, you walk? Spiritual stability comes from right thinking and right doing. And so Paul issues in this one long sentence two appeals in verses 8 and 9. Look, if you would, at verse 8 and verse 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, here's the verb, command, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, here's the verb, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think on these things, practice these things. Those are the commands. Everything else around it is is how you do that. Pray in verse 6 and 7, and then put legs on it by thinking and doing in verses 8 and and 9. And the the, the list of things to think on is is the majority of the verse. Paul provides six adjectives and and two nouns. Uh, Six adjectives are are, are set apart for, for memory and emphasis, you know. Uh, whatsoever things are, and then he, he gives us six adjectives, and then he summarizes those adjectives with these, these parallel conditional clauses, if there's anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise. Then he gives the command, think on these things. It's all front-loaded. There are eight virtues in all that inform us how to obey the, the command to think. We're to think on these things, these types of things. So we could say, as you have on the screen there, two concrete commands that produce a stable Christian walk. There's a pattern of heavenly thinking, and then there's a practice of habitual doing. That's the foundation of a stable walk as you follow Christ. Let's look at the, the first one here. There's a concrete, the first concrete pattern is a pattern of heavenly thinking. And that brings mental stability. Verse 8, Paul begins with finally brethren. So he's, he gives this list. He starts with the word finally or beyond that. Now he's not just saying uh, I'm wrapping up the list with the, word, with the word finally. He's not just saying I'm coming to a close. He's actually continuing some implications of verse 7. Uh, don't miss how verse 7 wraps up the, that, that passage about anxiousness. Look at verse 7 again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard or garrison your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren... He's continuing the implications. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds, and beyond that, you should also, that's what he's saying, beyond that, you should also devote your thoughts to what is excellent and and your actions to my example. Don't just rely on this, this, this humble prayer that does bring about the peace of God that will guard your hearts and your thinking. Then make sure you're thinking right and make sure you're doing right beyond that. That's the idea that, that, that Paul has here. And then in amazing symmetry, 
Paul calls off these, these eight thought patterns that we're commanded to, to develop. What's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and commendable. If it's excellent or virtuous, if it's worthy of God's praise, then you're to, you're to develop habitual thought patterns. Think on those things a lot to where it's natural for you uh, to do that. Now, of this, this list, anytime you work through a list, you, you, you get weary probably after about the fourth one. There are eight of them here. And five of these terms are, are not particularly common to Paul's, letter, uh, Paul's letters, not the Philippian letter or others, which leads some people to conclude that Paul is, is using concepts of the moral philosophers of Philippi. Like, you would find these these terms for a Stoic to, you know, to, to follow, a moral philosopher of, of his day. Like, like Paul's hijacking the, uh, the, the moral code of the, of the Greek philosophers and he's making it Christian. But that's, that's nonsensical. I mean, Christian thought is not human wisdom baptized in the Spirit. It's the mind of Christ set aflame by the Spirit. It, it, it's, the, it, it's the wisdom of God that, that confounds human wisdom. P.T. O'Brien put it this way, the idea that Paul and his letter uh, descends from such heights as Christian citizenship in heaven in, in chapter 3, verse 20, and then asks the church to merely act like well-behaved Roman citizens is ridiculous. And I agree with him. The verb here, to think on these things, doesn't just mean be moral and make it Christian. It means to, it means to consider them. It, it doesn't mean just, just let them pass through your mind. It means to develop a pattern of, of thinking. Let your mind continually dwell on these things, is the way that the, the command should read. As a Christian, you run these thoughts through your mind so often that they develop mental grooves. When I was growing up, we used to ride four-wheelers and We'd ride on pipelines, and after we would, would go, not only us, but others, we'd drive the same path over and over. There would be big ruts, and, and we'd get to the point where you, couldn't even, you, you couldn't, even, couldn't even ride in some places. Sometimes they were very helpful, though. You're going through something treacherous. treacherous. There, were, there, were, there were already ruts there, and you could almost take your hands off the handlebars, and the, and the foiler would just ride through the ruts and get you through whatever, whatever it was. It's the idea here. Excellent thoughts are to be like the track uh, uh, that the chariot wheels leave in the Roman roads of your mind. Paul's saying make these contemplations part of your thought process. It's to develop the habit of the mind, develop a pattern of thinking. And that's because sin is not just doing. It's also desiring and thinking. What do you think about sin? You probably think about transgression, and surely sin is a transgression. You step over the line of God's law, but but sin is not just doing. A verse that you probably know well and cherish, Psalm 32, 1 and 2. This is David's David's psalm about his repentance and what God granted him when, when he forgave him. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man and against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit or, or guile. 
It talks about all the, the blessed forgiveness of God, but the forgiveness covers every aspect of sin. There are four, four different aspects here. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. That transgression, that's action, a commission, whose sin is covered. Sin is falling short of the glory of God, so it's, 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 a, it's an inaction. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Iniquity, that sinful desire and in whose spirit there is no deceit or no guile. That's a sin of thought. Sin is action and inaction and desire and, and thought. And so what we have here in Philippians 4.8 is a contrast to the sin of thinking. Resentment is a sin of thinking. Covetousness is a sin of thinking. Lust and immoral daydreaming is a is a sin of thinking. Envy is a sin of thinking. Jealousy is a sin of thinking. Deception is a sin of thinking. Wicked scheming is a sin of thinking. Rather than sinning with your thoughts, you're to be spiritually productive with them. And what will guard you from that or to insulate you is, is thinking rightly, which is what you're called to do to hear and to do that habitually. Paul tells us how to keep those sins of thinking out of our mind because if there's a void there, you're going to be thinking something. So you need to fill your mind with God's thoughts. And the first one that he gives on the list here is, is to fill your mind with what's true. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true. Now this is, this is like a, the thing that starts the whole list and it, you would expect it to be there. The word means whatever is real or rather than apparent. There are things that are, that are true and there are things that, that are not. He starts the list by telling us to think dependable thoughts. Uh, you hear all the time, I'm going to share with you my truth. Or this is, this is, this is you, that's your truth. And the Bible says there's, there's not your truth or my truth, there's the truth. It's the truth of God. And you're to think what is true. Dependable thoughts, thoughts that won't deceive you, thoughts that won't lead you astray. Those thoughts are true thoughts. Everything else will come crashing down around your ears. And the fundamental problem that an unbeliever has is, is they, they think lies. They, they're deceived from the world and from their own heart. And the scary thing is they've done it so much that they don't even recognize it. They, they can't discern what is true. You don't have what is true running through your mind, what is true about God, what's true about your sin, what's true about your destiny as, a, as an unbeliever. And, and the God of this world's blinded your mind to keep you from what, what is true. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 says. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they'll, they'll not see the light of the glorious gospel of, of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth of of what's true. And one of the first things that happens in the gospel is you realize that, that you've been living and believing a lie. You realize what is true. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Your answer to that question is, is, is the matter of heaven and hell. But however you answer that question doesn't change the fact that, that the answer is true. I mean, Jesus is the Christ whether you believe upon him or not. What you think about Jesus will then lead you what you'll do with Jesus, and that has eternal ramifications. And even as believers, we're, we're, we must continually renew our minds 
so we don't fall to deception as well. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now you get really practical in the area of anxiety. You remember what Lloyd-Jones said about the illustration of worry? It's not thinking too much. It's, it's not thinking enough. Well, believing what is true is what you must think. That's what combats the, the, the sin of worry. When you allow your mind to imagine the worst-case scenario and things being out of control, that's the sin of, of, of worry. You're not thinking what is true. I mean, nothing in your life is ever out of control. I mean, God orders your every step, and you're more valuable to Him than the birds or the lilies. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Consider the birds. Consider the lilies. And when you fill your mind with what's true, that presses worry. You remind yourself that God's not forsaken His people, and He works even even through the sins of men. Tuesday night, I was watching the election results came in, and the longer I watched, the more amped up I, I was getting. You know, Flashing lights, boom, Fox News alert, the polls are closing wherever, boom, uh, we can call West Virginia for Donald Trump. The more I watched, uh, the more agitated I was, I was getting. And I thought, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> I mean, first, there's no way they're going to call a winner tonight. They're just not going to do that. And even if they did, I prayed, I voted, and beyond that, I don't have a whole lot of control. So I turned off my TV, and I went and read the Bella, and I went to sleep. And I reminded myself on Friday morning that Christians don't have a new leader. We have a new president, but our leader never changes. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how that works? Thinking about whatever is true fills the void that that error can overtake, and error can rush in, and then you respond to that. You react to that. Look at the second one there. Second pattern of thinking on the list. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable. Uh, you, some of your translations may say dignified, and that's, that's a good translation. Paul actually uses this word uh, for older men in Titus. Titus 2 Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Uh, I mentioned at the 8.30 service. When I thought of this word, that's exactly what I thought of. I thought of older men. And I said I wasn't going to name somebody and embarrass them. But, but I, I thought of men in this church, dignified men. Men that, that, that their, their spiritual lives, their Christian lives are put together. And, and they're just, they're, they're honorable it's something that's required for deacons, model servants in 1 Timothy 3.8. It comes from the word meaning to revere or to worship. We don't revere or worship men, but there's something about them that's, that's honorable. It's the opposite of, of something that's shameful or, or vulgar. It means to think noble and majestic thoughts. Think high thoughts. And a believer should think high thoughts. A believer should, should think on a heavenly level. Have you ever read some of the, the old letters? I mean, even back in Civil War times. Robert E. Lee writing to someone on the north. These are bitter enemies at, at the moment. And yet the way in which they speak to one another it's, is honorable. 
dignified. This word means to, to think on things that, that are worthy of your thoughts. Uh, that, that, that will keep you from living a, an undignified life because what you think will end up coming out of your mouth and then will come out in, in, your, in your behavior. And sadly, many people think on a very low plane, a low level, a shallow, banal level. Their dreams and their aspirations and goals are not high, they're not eternal. They're not weighted with the majesty of God. Don't think small thoughts about God. Think God's thoughts about God, and it will elevate your thinking. Because whatever you, whatever you think, that'll be the level that, that you'll live. Thinking about what is honorable will also press aside evil scheming and wicked imaginations that what you would like to do to your enemy. Envy and jealousy and evil thoughts will be replaced with, with what is honorable. Thinking about what is honorable will lead you to, to stand on a principle as well rather than just go along to, to get along. That's the idea of this word. The third one. Third pattern of thinking is what, what is right. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right. So, I mean, in the, in the first three, you have what's true and what's right. One of... Uh, Bob Jones Sr., founder of Bob Jones University, his famous saying was, do right, do right, till the stars fall, do right. I never heard him preach, but I remember that, that statement. Well, Paul says you, you start by thinking right, think right, think right. The word means just in the broadest sense. It's, it's something in accordance with a divine standard. Think rightly about things. It, it's, it's, a, it's a sister to true, what's true, but then what's true is what's right. It's in accordance with a divine standard. Like, like you justify your, your, your papers uh, whenever you're, you're writing an email. The, all of your sentences, no matter how much you write, they end here. It's justified there. It rolls over to the second one. The, the margin is, is justifying uh, the rest of, of the paper. God himself is the one who justifies. He sets the standard. Think on what is right and you'll have no room for sin. Because sin begins in the mind. And sin is wrong. It's not right. You don't just sin involuntarily. I mean, you know that. You're not walking along and bang, uh, you know, you think, how did that happen? I mean, you can be waylaid by sin, but there's been something going on that puts you in a position to get waylaid to begin with. I mean, th that old 80s sitcom with, with Urkel, that, you know, the little guy with the glasses, did I do that? You know, it's not the way that you, you fall into sin. Long before you sin, you started thinking about your sin. You imagine yourself doing it. And that's one of the ways that you deaden your conscience and convince yourself it's okay. You talk to yourself, even about your sin. You say things like, it's not that bad, or I've seen other people do it, or, or you ask the question, is this really wrong? You can hear the garden there. Did God really say this is wrong? And when that thinking gets full bloom, you say things like, well, well God will forgive me even if it is wrong. And in that thinking, you're paving your way for your sin. And you're thinking wrongly. You're not thinking rightly. Paul says, fill your mind with thinking about what is right. And that will insulate you from what is wrong. Long before you will ever do wrong, you'll think wrong about something. So be careful. It leads to sin. 
Next, Paul says, think about what is pure. Number four on the list. What is pure? It means holy or, or set apart. It, it was used for, for, for things morally pure, chaste and upright. Think about pure thoughts. Develop a pattern of, of pure thoughts. Now, let me ask you a hard question. Think for a second how many thoughts that you have in a day that are impure. You probably haven't counted them. I haven't counted them. But is it a hundred? Is it a thousand? You have impure thoughts at the most inappropriate times, don't you? And you think, where did that come from? Ah, get out of there. What am I doing? I'm in church. Or worse, you have those impure thoughts and you welcome them and you dwell on them. You see something and then you think about that. and You dwell on those impure thoughts. Our flesh is like a sump pump submerged in Satan's sewer. And your heart fills with wickedness, and then your mind just pumps it out in impure thoughts, and that leads to temptation. And when you act on that temptation, then that brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. There's a progression, and it all begins with thinking. And Paul says you battle with a steady diet of pure thoughts. You battle impure thoughts with a steady diet of pure thoughts. Now remember the command here. It's to develop a pattern of thought. Develop a pattern of pure thinking. You know that the Bible says that there are things that the unbelieving world does that you're not to even mention, you're not to even think about. You don't need to be wise in the, in the specific ways that unbelievers do things. The Bible says don't even think about those things. Don't even dwell on those things. They'll create, they'll create thought patterns. They'll create little grooves in, in your mind. It's not just tit for tat, like I have an impure thought, and oh, I need to replace that with a pure thought. I mean, that's good. But Paul says the victory comes from having a regular diet of, of pure thoughts. I thought about my, my pastor. I remember him asking me to pray for him one time because his father-in-law, who was a, who was a deacon in the church, and as far as everyone knew and believed, he was an upstanding man, and he was losing his mind toward the end of his life. And as he lost his mind, he didn't have any governor and what was in his heart, and it was just coming out. He was just saying things that was very out of character for his outward behavior. It was in his heart. What would it be like? What's the condition of your thought life? What would it be like if you had no guard and all of those thoughts that come, come in your mind just came out? Well, that could happen one day. How do you combat that? If you're thinking pure thoughts, that will reduce the amount of impure thoughts that they come to begin with. Daily choices you make are vital to holiness. That's how, how, how hard you have to fight against sin. Filling your mind with a steady diet of conversations of others, of the movies or whatever that presents sin is no big deal is like drinking small doses of strychnine for a believer. If you're a genuine believer, it's not going to kill you, but it's going to make you profoundly weak, and it's going to make you a weak thinker. And then that's going to turn up in your life and doing. God will be unable to use you because you're polluted with impure thoughts. You want peace from the battle? You'll never get out of the war before you die. That'll end whenever you die, but you can't have stability in the midst if you fill your mind with impure thoughts. Battling. Don't just think about, I have to stop thinking this way. Think about what you're thinking that can combat that. 
Let's look at number five. Fill your mind with things that are lovely. Whatsoever is lovely. And I came to that word, and I thought, okay, how can I describe that? Well, I could say my wife's lovely. I could say the sunset's lovely. Um, the word means something that calls forth love or is, or is, is awe-inspiring. It's what is pleasing and agreeable and gracious and attractive. And then I thought, you know what? Christ is lovely. He's the fairest of ten thousands. He's the lily of the valley. And I think about Christ. He's lovely. He inspires me. He's pleasing. He's agreeable. He's gracious. He, he's attractive. And, and those are the kind of thoughts that you're to have. When you stir hateful thoughts around in your mind, you're creating the opposite of this word. Envy and bitterness is not lovely. It's defiling. But when you think on Christ, you think on his good gifts, you'll think lovely thoughts like his forgiveness and his mercy toward you. And that will press aside the, the envy and the bitterness that you might have toward, toward, toward others. You need to think on Christ as a regular pattern as you do. Um, listening to people that do nothing on a regular basis that are just, just bitter and, and just, just hateful and everything's horrible and the world's coming to an end and everybody is, is evil will not help you fulfill this. Think on Christ. Now, Jesus doesn't mince any words about what's right and wrong. He calls sin, sin, and he points that out. He kicks the Pharisees in the teeth and the religious hypocrites. He doesn't let anybody get away with what is, what's, what's right and what's, what's wrong. But he's also lovely. He also mingles the gospel in there and says his forgiveness and mercy is available. Look at number six. Think on things of a good reputation or commendable, of a, whatever is of good repute. Develop thought patterns that have to do with, with things that are commendable. Do you know somebody who has a good name? Um, they're well thought of, maybe in this church, maybe, maybe in the community. That's what the word means. It, it describes someone that's, that's highly thought of. Paul says you should make it a habit of thinking things that will, that will promote your testimony toward, toward others. I think that's the, the idea. It doesn't just mean think about people that have a, a good reputation. It's think about things that will increase your testimony or, or your reputation. Not in order to be lifted up, but that you might be, might be a vessel for Christ. Do you have proud thoughts? I'm talking about what presses out sinful thoughts. Thoughts of, of why you're not more recognized at work, why your husband or wife doesn't respect you more, why your kids don't give you the honor that, that you deserve. Paul says, think about how, a, how to be a worthy person, a person worthy of those accolades, and, and you'll begin to develop some of them. I mean, no one likes someone who's self-focused. No one is attracted to a braggart, but, but a humble man with conviction is a powerful tool in God's hand. And that's how you develop a good reputation. Someone who's stable and gentle, as, as Paul just got done telling us about in, in verse 4. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. That's what he's talking about here. Think those kinds of thoughts that, that produce that kind of, of person. The person is 
has a platform to lead others to Christ. And Paul says, think about being like that, and, and it will lead you to become like that. Bring us to the final two things in, in the list that are like summary commands. Number seven and eight. He says, if there is any excellence, and if anything is worthy of, of praise. The last two items is, is to sum all the others up. Six plural adjectives describing the kinds of thoughts that, that we're to pattern, and that's summarized here in these two singular nouns. Think on whatever is praiseworthy, and think on whatever is excellence. And, uh, excellent. and he changes, uh, changes it up in the list to reinforce everything that, that, that comes before. This is like Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and, and 20. It's the works of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. What are they, Paul? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and watch this, and things like these. I've warned you, and as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the, the kingdom of God. He says, this is a list of the works of the flesh, but it's not an all-encompassing list. It's things that are like these. All these things that he just got done telling us to focus on are excellent and virtuous, but it's not an all-inclusive list. It's any thoughts like those. There's anything others, uh, any other thoughts or patterns beyond this list, you can include them too. That's, that's what Paul's saying. And developing thoughts after them is praiseworthy. It's, it's righteous. It's good. You want to be a righteous person? Did you know you can have righteous thoughts, patterns of your, your thought life is righteous? One commentator said, you could translate it, since there is excellence and since there are some things worthy of praise, Focus on them. There's a lot of things the world spends time thinking about that we should not as Christians. You and I should be thinking God's thoughts. And that's not prudish or conservative or anything else. There are things in this world that you should not allow to defile your mind or your thinking. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. John MacArthur said, Your mind is the greatest treasure you have in terms of those gifts of human life. And as a believer, your mind works in concert with the Spirit of God. You must protect that mind, and the way you protect it is how you think. And you must protect it from influences. And there is no quick fix to thinking this way. There's no easy formula that will bring spiritual stability that you can get from four counseling sessions. You're not going to win the battle of the mind by listening to this sermon this morning only. It's when you do it Tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And in the midst of that, the impure thought's going to come and you're going to try to pour more pure thoughts in there. You're, you're going to think what is right, what is true, and you're going to habitually do that. That's what Paul is, 
is saying there's not a little book that you can read, you can't take it in a bottle, you can't dose it every day, you practice right thinking, and then the way you follow that up is right doing, which is what we'll see next time. He said we often ask the wrong question. We ask, how does it make me feel and does it work? Instead of, is it true and is it right? And we've got to learn to think on right things. That kind of thinking and behaving will bring you stability. What the world will bring will lead to a volatile, painful life that's going to come crashing to a halt in a heap before the throne of God. It won't go any farther than there. You will only be able to think error and impure thoughts and and unrighteous thoughts here on earth. Even bad thinking will cease at heaven. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? Don't you bow your heads. The first thing that you must do in order to think right is you must receive the mind of Christ. You do that through coming to him. If you're here, you're outside of the Lord, you're watching and you don't know the Lord, God says, let's reason together. Your sins are black. They're dark. But I can make them white as snow. The only way I can do that is through Jesus. And you have to surrender and submit to him. You have to turn from your sin and turn to me. You have to acknowledge that I'm right about your sin and right about your life. And then you have to see the provision that I've made. And that's Jesus. And then you just cry out to him. The Bible says God will save you. And through the Spirit of God, he'll give you a, a new mind. And then you can begin to practice that. Maybe you're a Christian and maybe you already have a new mind and maybe you're weak and confused and all those things and and that might be because you're drinking strychnine a little bit at a time. God's just calling you to, to think rightly this morning and practice that. And if you haven't thought rightly before, you just repent and, and you say, Lord, help me think rightly today and then you start practicing that. And it's a wonderful thing that you came here this morning to hear God help you think rightly, so be encouraged. He has not forsaken you. He loves you, and he wants to cleanse you even now. Father, I thank you for your word and how you remind us of the same thing over and over and how you help us. You are lovely, Lord Jesus. We turn our eyes toward you, and we think lovely things about how you came and died for us and saved us and that you're coming again and and that you granted your Holy Spirit to help us to, to think rightly. Help us to do our part in that process that you might receive glory and we might be able to be used by you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Once you stand, we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us.
forget uh, no service tonight we completed all the process next Sunday night um, is the vote you're welcome to hang around uh, and fellowship obviously continue to pray for our nation and all the things that are coming out and the recounts and those kinds of, uh, of things that that God would be glorified and we would be able to live a peaceable life and proclaim the gospel and his will uh, would be done all right father we love you and we praise you and we ask you to dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus name amen